Welcome to Life Talk, a series of thought-provoking podcasts specifically developed to thoroughly enrapture, dynamically expand, and potentially enrich your life by challenging your heart. And now, here's Craig. I think that the best place to create a framework for what I feel led to say to you today is found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Matthew chapter 5 verses 14 through 16. Here's what I want to do. I want to pull one fundamental question out of this text, and then I want to compel you to consider all the implications of this one question. And then I want you to ask it of yourself. And in directing this question to yourself, I want you to get a glimpse of who you are and what God can do through you. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Now, before we read the text, I want to put some flesh on this question and breathe a little life into it. And to do that, I want to tell you about Eddie. In the book of You from the Front Porch, I wrote about Eddie. Among other things, Eddie has cerebral palsy. Eddie is a quadriplegic, which simply means that he has no use of his arms or his legs. He's pretty much a mangled mess of bone and skin sitting in a wheelchair. Eddie's cerebral palsy is so extensive and the neurological damage is so profound that he has no use of his vocal cords, so he can't speak. His entire body is constantly racked by tremors, so his arms and legs are spastic and they're always shaking even when he's sleeping. He can't swallow, so all of his food is pureed and spoon-fed to him. Eddie is 57 years of age. He's never held a job. He's never had a relationship. He's never written his name or ridden a bike or used a remote or climbed a tree or dialed a phone. He can't hold a rose in his hand or say, I love you, or any other word for that matter. He'll never ride a roller coaster or move a chess piece on a chessboard or bake cookies. He can't dress himself. He can't take himself to the restroom. He has no idea what MapQuest or Google is because he can't use a computer or a phone. Eddie has spent and will spend the entirety of his life strapped in a manual wheelchair with his spastic pencil-thin legs velcroed in place on two worn footrests and the trunk of his body velcroed to his backrest. That's Eddie's life and that's Eddie's future. He has no hope of ever doing any of the thousands of things all of us do every day without even ever thinking about it. He will live and he will die in that wheelchair. That's the sum total of his life. Eddie lives in a facility for the handicap. And in that facility, he has a tiny 10 by 12 foot room. If you ever walked into his room, you would notice two things. One is a tattered Bible on his nightstand that has been loved thin by spastic hands. The second thing you'd notice is a small cross made of two simple sticks that hangs on a white wall that has nothing else on it except this simple, crude cross. 
It is that Bible and that cross that defines the crumpled mass of humanity that sits in that wheelchair. And those two things make Eddie remarkable. Eddie loves to read that tattered Bible. Many times he would motion me to put his glasses on that spastic head of his and secure them with this headband so that they wouldn't be thrown off. And this crumpled mass of a man would spend hours reading his Bible. He can't turn the pages so someone would have to do it for him. And if there was no one to do it, he'd spend hours on the same page. It didn't matter much to him because all he wanted to do was read his Bible, look at that simple cross on that empty white wall, and read some more. All night long. One day I walked into his room, and in one of his thin spastic hands he held out a quarter and a nickel. Thirty cents. I had no idea what the thirty cents was for or what Eddie wanted. But after a few moments, I figured out that he wanted me to give it to the church, a gift consisting of a quarter and a nickel. For a handicapped guy entirely dependent on disability, for a guy who's been robbed of most anything we'd call life, for a guy who has next to nothing and will live his life out with the next to nothing that he's always had, I found that impressive and I found it incredibly difficult to take from him. But I did, and I left. The whole thing kind of fell together for me as I was leaving the facility that day with Eddie's 30 cents rolling around in my pocket. I think you all know that at times in your life, we have those moments that you can't quite describe, except that you clearly know that you need to do something other than what you're doing. And walking through the parking lot, I knew without question that I needed to go back into the facility and pull Eddie's financial file. I had no idea why other than I was supposed to do it. So I did. And in pulling the ledger, I opened to Eddie's account and ran my finger down the page to the line that indicated the sum total in Eddie's account. It was 30 cents. After the billing from the facility and a few small articles of clothing, his disability check had been whittled away to 30 cents. This guy had cashed out his entire account for God. I stood with the ledger in one hand and a quarter and a nickel in the other, and I found myself awash in the wonder that sometimes pops up in this journey that we call life. Here's a guy who'd been robbed of the use of his body, his voice, of opportunity, and the dreams and the hopes, and all the millions of things, both large and small, that we take for granted every day. Essentially, he was robbed of his life. Yet he sat in a worn-out wheelchair in a tiny 12-by-10-foot room with a crude cross on an empty wall, reading his Bible and worshiping God. And now this guy was emptying his account. So I walked into his room with his ledger in one hand and his 30 cents in the other, and I said, Eddie, what are you doing? Do you know that this is all you have? Do you know that? And this remarkable man knew that I'd be back asking that exact question. With that obvious look on his face, he smiled at me, 
leaned back in his wheelchair and began to simply laugh. And when Eddie laughed, as spastic as that laugh was, his room always lit up. And I'm convinced that God always laughed right along with him. Then he raised a spastic hand and motioned me out of his room. And I can remember putting my arm on that bony, plastic, tremoring shoulder of his and saying, Eddie, Eddie, you are a remarkable man. Eddie's is a life that is brilliantly lit. He is a flame that's burning for God. If anybody has reason to be bitter or angry or resentful or hateful, he does. He has every reason to be a light snuffed out by cerebral palsy and all the things that CP has done to him. But he's not. Eddie is a light that unashamedly shines right through the worst most desperate of handicaps and brilliantly shines right in front of every person he encounters. He is a light that is lit and the impact is unbelievable. Marianne Elliott wrote, It seems to me that we can never give up longing and wishing while we are alive. There are certain things that we feel to be beautiful and good and we must hunger for them. Despite an irreparable handicap that tied the man to a wheelchair and robbed him of all of the stuff that we have so readily at our disposal, Eddie hungered to live. With all the impossibilities that his handicap wrapped around him, he hungered to live, and he did and he does. He is a light that is lit, brilliantly lit. And so my question to you is very simple, and it's simply this. Are you a light that's lit? Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16 reads, You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So let's begin at the beginning and ask the first question that needs to be asked. Are you a light that's lit? Matthew chapter 5 talks about being a light, but we might want to first ask the fundamental question, am I a light that is lit in the first place? How many of us are a light that is lit and ablaze. We're all lamps, every one of us. But how many of us are lamps that are lit and burning and casting light? Because it's one thing to be a lamp, and it's quite another thing to be a lamp that's lit. If you walk through life being a lamp that is not lit, you will live a diminished life, and you will add to the diminishment of those around you. And that is tragic. The Irish playwright George Bernard Shaw was interviewed by a reporter who asked him, Mr. Shaw, if you could live your life over and be anybody you've known, any person from history, who would you be? Listen carefully to what he said. George Bernard Shaw said this. He replied, I would choose to be the man George Bernard Shaw could have been, but never was. Will that be your commentary 
on your life? When the end comes and the years are dwindling, will you say, I would choose to be the man I could have been, but never was? George Bernard Shaw was a lamp that, by his own admission, was never lit. Eddie was a life entirely robbed, but entirely lit. And if he, in his condition, can be that and do that, so can you, and so can I. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. You, all of you, all of us, are lamps. And the question that I have for you is, are you a lamp that's lit? Think about this. Is it reasonable to think that the sum total of whatever you are is far greater and significantly grander than you dare to think? Have we been lulled into a sleepy view of ourselves that barely scrapes the surface of who and what each of us really is? Is it possible that we never seize God's promises and God's power because we don't think that we'd ever really be much of anything anyway? In the book of Judges, Gideon is facing a mammoth enemy. This guy is brutally outnumbered, and he has virtually no resources to face what he's up against. Totally outnumbered, in Judges chapter 6, verse 12, God says to Gideon, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? Did you hear what God said? He said... Go in the strength that you have. Take what you've got and go. Gideon was the least clan in the least tribe of the nation of Israel. He was the nothing of his nation, the nobody, the totally inconsequential person that would live and die without having any real bearing on anything. He was a farmer out plowing some irrelevant field in a far corner of nowhere. And God said, go in the strength that you have and save this nation. You just take what you've got and go. With a little bit of nothing that Gideon had, he was sent out to save Israel out of the Midianites' hands. It was a totally impossible mission that was made totally possible because God sent him. It was all about what God was going to do and not about what Gideon couldn't do. What are the unconsidered possibilities of being a lamp that is lit? Listen to the promises from scripture. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. The Sovereign Lord is my help. I will strengthen you and help you. You see, it's not about us. It's about what God does through us. And if it's truly not about us, and if it's truly about God, then what are the possibilities? What are the possibilities of a life surrendered and released to God? What are the possibilities of a life that's lit? Are you a lamp that's lit? Someone once said, even an idiot can count how many seeds are in an apple, but only God can count how many apples are in a seed. How much potential do you have? What's the true extent of what you're capable of? How many apples are in the seed 
which is you. I'll tell you how many. More than you can imagine. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Are you a lamp lit? If not, when are you going to do something about that? Thanks for joining us today. Tune in next week as we present the second in this two-part series. We hope that you found these thoughts as challenging and motivating. Thank you for joining us for Life Talk. For further information or additional resources, please visit www.craiglpc.com.